Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochulillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochulillo. And before we get started, I want to thank my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are executive producer Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Anita Holmes, and she has a book called Twitter, T-W-I-D-D-E-R, and it is, as far as I know, maybe the only book out there exclusively on space and time slips. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. So, so where did it all begin for you? How did you get into these space and time slips? Well, it was something I never imagined delving into. It happened just a few years before I retired from teaching up in Alaska. For many years, I taught at a high school in Fairbanks. And every October, no matter what age group you're teaching, teachers go nuts in October. It's a perfect opportunity to do wild and crazy units and everything from science to English. And I had some... English classes, and what we're going to do is we're I'm going to put together a unit on supposedly true Alaskan ghost stories. So I went to the Noel Ween Library, beautiful big library in downtown Fairbanks, and checked out an armful of books on Alaskan ghost stories. I'm reading through the books, picking and choosing accounts that I think the students will find interesting and we can build assignments and interests on. And I came across this one account that had to do with a couple from Washington State. They and another couple, friends of theirs, got on a cruise. And the cruises from Washington State up to Alaska, they go along the western coastline of Alaska. So they'll stop at places like Skagway and other out-of-the-way places, ending up in Anchorage. Well, the cruise ship ended up in Anchorage, and both of the couples went to take a look-see of the town. They went into the old Anchorage Hotel, which had been closed, actually, for many years. It was... It was um, really derelict, but then it was purchased and brought back to life. And they were in the gift shop looking for items for the grandchildren when one of the gals really needed to use the restroom. So she excused herself, went and used the restroom in this beautifully redone modern hotel. And when she came out of the restroom, 
she ran back to her friends and said to the other gal, you've got to come with me. You've got to see this. Here we are in this historic hotel that they've really done modern, but they have left this one bathroom retro. It's got gas lights. It has oak stalls. It has cotton towels. A woman dressed up like a maid even came in and handed me a towel to dry my hands on. She said, it is so sweet. It's so spectacular. So her lady friend went running back to the restroom with her, except... When they opened the door, she got the biggest shock of her life. It was all modern. It was chrome, recessed lighting, stainless steel stalls, and a blow dryer for your hands. And there was certainly no woman coming in <laughs> in a maid <laughs> uniform handing her a cotton towel. She was absolutely floored. And I, reading this account, am absolutely floored because... I'm thinking, what in the world did that have to do with ghosts? There weren't any ghosts in this account. And I stored it in the back of my mind, made note of it. And within a year or two, I had stumbled across so many accounts of what this woman experienced that turned out to be labeled time slips are actually a lot of other names. And truly, Einstein proved that space and time are actually one entity, mm -hmm. space-time. So the real actual scientific term for what she and dozens and dozens of other folks I now know have experienced is space-time slips. But I entitled my book Twitters because being a teacher, we're always big on acronyms <laughs> to help <laughs> students remember different things. And I came across so many names for what this woman experienced, including time jumps, time ruptures, time ribbons, time storms, time slips, time tears. So I combined them together into an acronym, Twitters. It is just a jumble of time warp displacement with a pinch of slip thrown in, but it all has to do with, for a brief period of time, usually, finding yourself in a different time and or a different location. So my file on these experiences got bigger and bigger, and oh my goodness, the places I found them on, they would be in books I'd read. One was in a book which was by a celebrity, and it was an experience she had had in Israel on a visit there. I found them once I learned about podcasts, and uh, the internet became a big deal. I read many on uh, websites, and I've collected them from the strangest places. I even collected one for what will be my second volume, from a book on Big Feet. Hmm. So go figure. We live <laughs> in an incredibly strange and wonderful universe. But what I did finally was to collect the first bunch of accounts I had into the book known as Twitters. And the other thing I did, because this is my area of interest, which had never been done before, 
was I categorized what folks were experiencing. Because in space-time, we're talking about, like I said, a different time and a different time and place or a different place. So trying to make sense out of these experiences, I came back with the categories which is by far what most people experience. Couldn't tell you why, but it is. Forward to the future, which is actually pretty rare in the accounts I found. Fast forward, which is a fun little thing. So slow is also kind of a head scratcher. Instant replay, lost locations, and alternate reality. Hmm. The last two categories, lost locations and alternate reality, there just imagine a Venn diagram where the different circles overlap. They hmm. kind of overlap each other. There are elements they each have in common, and sometimes I have a difficult time categorizing experiences. Does deja vu fall into this category? Deja vu can if it's an instant replay mm -hmm. if it's something you've seen and then see again but sometimes deja vu is just gosh i remember that why do i remember that and it may not come to mind till a few days later when you think oh i remember that because that person reminded me of my brother bill they look just like him that's why i felt like i knew that person or why well, I felt like I'd been in this restaurant before. Hmm. So it might, but it, it might not. So out of the stories that you have collected, have you found any common denominators between any of these stories? The big question I had was, how the heck do they ever happen? And there is a common denominator there that has to do with physical attributes of when a person experiences it, not always, but often enough that they're pretty common. One is an electrical storm or being close to a lot of electricity, um, also often fog or both together, a storm and fog, um, but often they happen and it's just boom out of the clear blue totally blue sky they're they're in a goodwill store and all of a sudden a portal opens and i do think that what einstein posited which we now know is a reality is something called wormholes or something called the einstein Rosen bridges, which are technically a structure that links disparate points in space-time. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm here in my kitchen, and all of a sudden, I'm your house entirely. Or I'm walking down the road, looking at a house, and the next time I go by to look at the house, it's gone. For a couple of young ladies with their family, they were in a Goodwill store when 
in effect, a portal opened up on the second floor of Goodwill. And it was two sisters, they were about 10 and 12, and they really were doing their own thing on the second floor, one looking for clothes, another looking for an organizer for school. And they didn't realize they had both seen the wall disappear on one side of the Goodwill store. And they had seen what looked like a vortex a whirlwind of forces replacing the wall until they were in their 20s and they mentioned it to each other and much to their shock, they had both seen this. But when we talk about wormholes, um, I have since the first book found a couple of experiences where people actually have evidently seen a wormhole or a portal. And one of those was an experience that happened in December 1999 in Hamilton, Ontario, up in Canada, to a gal named Kay. She says, you can believe it or not, but I know it happened. I was sitting in bed reading one night. All was quiet and peaceful. Suddenly, I caught a glimpse of light from the corner of my eye. Startled, I turned my head to look, and I was dumbfounded by what I saw, there was a small ball of bright light that seemed suspended in the air just below the ceiling. It began to grow in size from about the size of a plum to maybe about 18 inches across. When it got that big, I could see it was more like a tunnel of light and the inside walls were spinning. It appeared flat from the side, yet it had great depth being seen from the opening I was stunned and terrified at the same time. I half expected something to come out of the tunnel, but instead it just shrank to a tiny pinpoint of light and it disappeared. Wow. And another experience where it was actually documented that they saw what might be termed a wormhole or portal is a gal when she was 11 years old she had come home from school and was a, with a friend of hers. They went out to take a walk in the woods that was part of their neighborhood. It was a place where they often walked into the woods. But what happened that day had never before. At the house about 2.30, headed to the woods. About halfway there, we saw what happened appeared to be a spinning vortex. We were both standing just outside of this looking in. The trees were bending to the right as if in a swirling movement. We just froze where we stood in disbelief. In the center of this swirl was an unfamiliar landscape. It was as if there were no trees on the other side. We could actually see a cinder block garage inside it, but we couldn't see any people or animals. Going farther in front of the garage, it was like a cliff as if someone had used a bucket loader to create this landscape above on the top of the cliff, there were a row of houses, all exactly the same style, same color, same distance apart from each other. There were telephone poles in a perfect line starting from the cliff. No trees in the landscape at all, but the road also started from the edge of the cliff. The feeling I had at that time was fear. I felt that if we walked into that vortex, we would never be able to return. 
What I feel is that it was a doorway to another place and another time. We both ran back to my house breathless. We went in and told my mom what had happened and she just thought we were crazy. But it truly happened and they actually didn't get back to their home until two hours later and they thought what they had observed just took a moment. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Are there certain locations where this happens more than others? I think I read, read a story about, I don't know, I, th I think it was in um, Britain or something, a certain street where it was yeah. really common for people that have these time slips. Yes, there are. And in my book, I share a few of those. But they have since come out with even more experiences. And it's not just space time slips they experience on that street. It is a wild and crazy place in Liverpool. <laughs> uh, maybe someday I'd like to visit, but I'd be very careful when I did. <laughs> I also get the feeling that Skinwalker Ranch in Utah also uh -huh. must be a place with portals, but it seems like it's more to do with creatures coming and going, not folks experiencing a different time or place. Right. There's, there's also another place called Bradshaw Ranch. Um, I did an episode with somebody who, who researched it for like 15 years. His name is Tom Dongo. Oh. And he has seen portals open and close there. Isn't that amazing? Yes. One of the scariest accounts I've come across for my second book was uh, 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 she was about nine, gone to bed, and she was getting her blankets arranged when a portal opened next to her bed, right on the floor. It was about two feet wide. And when she looked down into it, there was a ladder going down, way down into what looked like a huge factory. And she almost stepped down the ladder. And as a mother and a grandmother, I was so glad and grateful that she didn't take that step <laughs> because I was worried sick that she would have found herself stuck in an alternate reality. But she pulled back and within a few minutes, that vortex closed up in the floor of her bedroom and she never saw it again. Do you think that these vortexes may be responsible for a lot of missing person cases? I have wondered about that, especially reading the missing 411 books, mm -hmm. which are remarkable. I like to think that most of the time, 99.9% of the time, when we experience a space-time slip, our universe pops us back into our here and now, our version of reality. Uh, why that is, I'm not sure, but I'm awfully glad that does work for us. Although I think there are people who do not come back to this reality that they knew before. And then my big question is, well, I can see that happening, but then what does that do to the person in that reality where there may be an alternate them? Mm -hmm. So like if, if there's a Georgian in this reality and she finds herself going through a portal 
and doesn't come back to this reality, is she going to run into her Georgian from that reality? Or do they all kind of twine together like like yarn on a, 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 a machine where you're weaving? <laughs> and they just become one. I, I hope someone someday can answer that question for me. I think that would be kind of cool to hang out with myself. <laughs> I know I'm in good company (laughs) well you appear to be a very gentle kind soul so that wouldn't be bad to hang out with you (laughs) Um, so do you think that these time slips are a natural occurrence due to electromagnetic activity and things in the earth or do you think they are the result of government experiments such as the Montauk chair or the Philadelphia experiment or even something stranger like aliens? I think that the government experiments are man's attempt to create a space-time slip and who knows, one day they may come across a really simple and easy way to do it. And wouldn't that make life a lot more complex and fascinating. We talk about the the paradox of if I went back in time and murdered my grandmother, how could I be? Mm-hmm. That's one of the paradoxes of time travel to the past. So I don't know how as humans we would work out such paradoxes, but certainly I think we try to, people are trying to come up with a means to to create a portal to another time and or place. Um, I think that it is a natural occurrence and I think we know just enough about existence to put it on the head of a needle. Mm-hmm. So we have much left to learn, which is part of what makes life so fascinating, I think, and so rewarding. Uh, But like I say, I think 99.9% of the time it's a natural occurrence and we get kicked back to our reality. Hmm. But it is ongoing, and mm -hmm. I think you're right, there are certain places where for some reason it's facilitated by whatever is in the atmosphere or that point in space-time. There are people who have experienced it more than once, like Carl Jung Mm -hmm. in my book. He experienced it twice. Uh, But that is, there are only, I've only come across a couple of people who have experienced a space-time slip twice. Interesting. So I want to tell you a story and see what you think of this. A few years ago, I had an epileptic seizure, and I was out for about a half hour. And, um, you know, and I sort of had like an out-of-body experience from it, and it was, it was really kind of cool, actually. But here's where it gets really kind of strange. About a week later, after the seizure, I get a package in the mail, and it's a book called Time Paradoxes. It didn't come from Amazon or any normal place. It came from Oxford University. And the receipt on it was dated. It said I ordered it six months into the future. <laughs> that so, was a space time slip. 
<laughs> so, so, so I'm thinking that maybe during that seizure, maybe I entered a future self. Yeah. And sent myself that book as a reminder. <laughs> that would, that absolutely could be possible. And does it just make you scratch your head? Because I wonder, like, what happened? Maybe that's what happens when you stop existing here. Yeah. Maybe you kind of just merge with all these other future and past selves. Yes. I, I like the term merge. That's how I like to think of it. I, th I think the universe figures all of these things out. And we do know that there are parallel or multiple universes without end. Michio Kaku characterizes it as not just one Big Bang, but an unending number of Big Bangs, mm -hmm. each of which spawns a new universe. And Adrian Barber, the physicist, I like how he categorized it because I need things simple so that I can halfway understand them. He categorized multiple universes as a book. The book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But if you cut the spine off, and throw all those pages on the floor, they're all there at the exact same time because there is no such thing as time. It's space time. Mm -hmm. And the beginning and the middle and the end are all right there at the very same moment. So you could read the book and you appear to have a changing story, but everything is already right there. And so he said, think of it as pages, pieces of paper. And now and then, they will come together and touch each other in a little microscopic spot that will create a portal or a wormhole. And that was similar to an experiment trying to prove the Einstein-Rosen bridge, which if you can imagine, you have a big bowl of water in front of you, and you put down two little styrofoam logs, maybe four inches long, maybe an inch it wide and then you blow you turn a fan on the water so it creates waves it creates ripples what happens between those two styrofoam logs is that instead of waves traveling between the logs they become not only perfectly smooth and flat but the water and the waves outside of the two styrofoam logs push them together so that they touch and where they touch would if this was our universe creates a, a portal or a wormhole mm. so that helps me to imagine how this can be um and maybe one day we'll have a certain amount of control over this <laughs> and get to experience it whenever we want i have no idea <laughs> if this is the case what does this do with if if everything that's already basically written and already happened, like in the book? Right. That means we don't have free will. It's already there, but I believe it's there to be changed. And every time we make a different decision, the story changes. It's great editing if we're making good choices. It's real bad editing if we're making mm -hmm. bad choices self-destructive choices but i that's why i feel like while there may be a trillion different me's out there 
in parallel universes, we slowly come together like the warp and the woof on that um, loom where we're weaving together our life story. And this is reality for me right here, right now. But uh, as a teacher, the definition of teaching is not cramming facts into your long-term memory. Mm-hmm. It's behavioral change. That is true teaching. Master teachers not only help a student to learn about a topic, they help them to become better people because of that topic. And that was my challenge as a teacher and why I love teaching so dearly, because I got to be an influence for the better in the students who passed through my classrooms. And when we have a true change in behavior, we know it changes the structure of our brain. It changes our brain waves because they've done many studies um, on that with students who, especially teenagers, they've done a lot of studies where you have a self-destructive teen and you put them through something like a wilderness school program, a really intensive physical experience out in wilderness, and they will do uh, brain scans pre and brain scans post where they truly come out with uh, different behavior patterns and things have changed in the brain for the better. So I believe that we are able to weave together the story of our life. And that's when we join together those alternate selves with the one here in my reality. And I don't know if that's a good explanation for everybody, but it works for me to keep me from going cross-eyed. <laughs> um, when you mentioned like, like the universe sort of being created by big a Big Bang and there's like a whole bunch of them going on at a time, do you think these Big Bangs are actual, you know, um, you know, contractions and expansions of energy? Or do you think they're some type of form of consciousness? Like say... Something simple like a new idea that's never been thought of, and somebody thinks of it, and boom, it it just creates another entirely new universe. Yes, that's a good thought. Uh, that's a deep question. A couple things come to mind. First of all, I've wondered if if that Big Bang is not caused by a black hole. Um, I can't remember what I read about it. If black holes are are related to big bangs, but black holes, um, as you know, compress an an unimaginable amount of matter into a minuscule amount of space, and something has to at some point happen. I also believe that there is intelligence behind the creation of universes. I believe in a heavenly father. And I believe that we have the opportunity to continue through the eternities, to learn more and more and more and more and more without end about how these things happen and to be actually a part of creating them at some point in time. 
And that also helps me to keep from going cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked the uh, Yogananda version where it's like a, there's a great cosmic dreamer and then uh -huh. the cosmic dreamer forgets he's dreaming. Oh. And then his dream starts having another dream. And then that dream forgets dreaming. And then that dream's dream starts having another dream. And it just goes on forever. I have not heard of that, but that sounds fascinating. It has a pretty cool uh, cool model that he has. Um, so, so have you talked to any of the people that have experienced time slips? Have you interviewed any of them? Not from my books, no. I once, I think, experienced a space-time slip. So I have talked with myself about it. <laughs> it I, I think it was an alternate location. What happened was, after my husband passed, I'm a widow, after my husband passed away, um, I went back to school. I changed careers from community development, which I'd done for many years, and uh, went back and finished my teaching certification in special education. And at that time, I was living in Southern Utah. And with the children still at home, we used to love to go up to this area north of us, outside of Cedar City called Cedar Breaks. It was east of Cedar City. You travel up into the mountains, go up to an area called Duck Creek, which had the most wonderful creek. And we just loved in the summertime to pack up a lunch and go up there and dip our feet in those ice cold waters and just relax. Well, one day I had a car full of kids and we decided to explore a little. And we went up the road just before you get to the Duck Creek area, which goes north to, I think it was Panguitch Lake. And that was a good, I want to say it was a good 20 or 30 mile trip, but only uh, about 10 miles into the trip, we discovered this creek. There was a bridge, you'd have to cross over the bridge. And so one day we decided to stop at the creek because my favorite trees in the world are quaking um, aspen. I just think they're so beautiful, all seasons. And to the west of this creek was a hill with uh, a whole forest of quaking aspen. So we started when we'd go up to Cedar Breaks with our lunch, we'd stop, we'd go up that road to the lake, stop at the creek, get out, usually had a dog or two in tow too. And we'd have our lunch by that beautiful creek and dip our feet in the creek while the dogs went swimming and whatnot. And now and then if I felt really energetic, we'd actually hike up the hill to the quaking Aspen. Well, that happened for years. And then I had decided to finish my teaching career up in Alaska just couldn't beat the, beat the teacher retirement and benefits for medical. So um, we had, had invited uh, a family that had been good friends of ours who lived in um, Juneau, Alaska. There are only three big cities in Alaska, Anchorage, Juneau, and Fairbanks. 
And so this family was from Juneau and I'd been up to visit them and we invited them down to visit us in New Harmony, Utah one summer and they came for a whole week. So one day we loaded up all the kids, really big lunch, no dogs, there wasn't room in the car that time, and went up the road to Panguitch Lake because we were going to uh, go to our favorite creek there with the quake with the quaking aspen on the hill. Only we couldn't find the creek. There was no bridge. We went all the way to the lake and back two times. Hmm. And there was no bridge. There was no hill with quaking aspen and there was no uh, creek. And there had even been on the bridge a plaque about the pioneers who'd come that way. There was no plaque. And I felt like a complete idiot. And funny, the children were all pretty unhappy because it was way past lunch by then. So we just went up to Duck Creek, which was still there. And the sad thing is, just a month later, we moved up to Alaska for teaching. My first teaching job was in the bush in a village called Tanana, right on the shores of the Yukon River. The great adventure of going to the last frontier. And I have not since been back. I want desperately to go back to Southern Utah, travel up that road and see if the creek and the bridge are back or not. So I know which was the reality and which wasn't. Wow. That's weird. It's interesting. Very weird. Hmm. Um, how about the Bermuda Triangle? Do you think that there's a time space warp there? And you know, like maybe like Amelia Earnhardt flew into it and oh, never came back out. I've got his experience in my first book, Twitters, and he definitely experienced a fast forward in time. It was condensed time that shouldn't have been at, in an, another flight. And also something that is really big that happens when uh, planes find themselves unable to get out of the clouds mm -hmm. and they're going nowhere fast is something called um, an electronic fog. And that is something that has probably meant the demise of many a plane in the Bermuda Triangle and elsewhere in the world. Um, I've got, I've read many stories. I'm trying to think of the name of the pilot and I can't think of it right now who, they were in that position and they were running out of gasoline and they were just flying from an island in the Bahamas to mm -hmm. Florida. I and the they story. were surrounded by this electronic fog and finally, finally, a tunnel opened through the clouds and they zipped through that thing and managed to make it to Florida before running out of gas, out of fuel. So not a doubt, probably in those places like the Bermuda Triangle, there are weird things going on that maybe can be tracked back to electronics and other weird things having to do with Einstein and the theory of relativity and all those good things. Hmm. Um, 
Do you think that some of the alien encounters that people experience are actually humans from the future? I I doubt that. I think they're from different realities. Hmm. Uh, my choice is to believe that we're pretty darn good looking as we are, and and we'll mm -hmm. continue to be like this. But like I say, we know as much about the universe as we could fit on the head of a pin. So who knows? <laughs> um, so what do you, do, you know, you, we were I mentioned before, like the Montauk chair. H have you ever heard of that experiment that happened in Montauk where people were supposedly put in this chair and able to travel through time and... I don't remember how it came out, though. Um, well, there's one guy who says that he sat in a Montauk chair. He went through a time warp. And when he came out, he was on the ship of the Philadelphia Experiment. Oh, for heaven's sake. And, um, and he still tells the story now. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I do think there's something to the story, but unfortunately, I think the experience messed up his brain a little bit. So, so his consciousness is like real fragmented. So when he's telling the story, oh. it sounds like it's all over the place. Yeah. Oh, what a horrible thing to go through. Yeah. You read those science fiction stories where there's something like that, and you end up with your leg through a wall and. <laughs> other horrible things that I would rather avoid. <laughs> okay. So, so if you had the opportunity, you would, if a vortex opened up in front of you, you would not go through? I'm the world's biggest coward. I just want to be where my grandchildren are. <laughs> and they're in this reality. But I tell you what, I would feel incredibly privileged. But like that little girl on her bed who almost stuck her foot in that vortex going into that factory. I think maybe I might stick a finger in, but that would be it. But boy, hmm. oh boy, would I like to write up the experience. Right? It would make a great book, as long as you can get back right. out. <laughs> Ever. I think one of my favorite experiences from the new book was really a sweet one. And I have to tell you, um, well, it had to do with a lost location or alternate reality. Again, there's so much overlap in those two categories. I believe in heavenly beings. I believe in angels. I believe there are folks in the fourth dimension that come and help us now and then here. And I think part of what this young mother and her seven-month-old daughter experienced I think it might have been directed by angels. And what it was, was she and her husband and their seven-month-old were living in an apartment. He was a student. It was New York City. So they were poor as church mice. They were in a basement apartment, um, their first child. And she was a very colicky baby. It was a long road to hoe. Um, getting her to the age of seven months without just throwing in the towel. They were very tired parents. And she, now it was springtime, so the weather was getting good. And 
So what this young mother would do would be every day she could, she would get the stroller out and just pick a direction and she and her daughter would walk and walk and walk. And of course, her daughter was in the stroller and it seemed to help settle her down so that when they got home, she'd lay down for a nap, it'd kind of tire her out. Well, one day she decided to go one particular direction. She'd gone about 20 blocks and they were, she set her goal to go around this huge, it was like a whole block of brick buildings. And she turned down this road she'd never been down before. And it was just, as she turned the corner, it looked like a solid wall of brick going clear to the next block, to the next road. But halfway down that solid brick wall, there was a door. And it was a door to a toy shop. And she thought, huh, this looks like fun. So she pushed, opened the door, pushed her daughter in the stroller in, and she went in. And there was a, a nice older fellow behind the counter who welcomed her and told her, look around to your heart's delight, no hurry. So she went up and down the aisles with her little one who was just enchanted by all the toys she was seeing. And she checked the prices now and then because they were truly poor as a church mice. Her husband was in college and working part-time and it's not cheap living in New York City, even in a basement <laughs> apartment. But she came across a carousel with these beautiful, beautiful, wildly painted horses that was not just a carousel, it was a music box. So when you wound the top, music played and her daughter was absolutely enchanted with it and when she she just that she knew there was no way she could afford it and when she picked it up and looked at the price sticker on the bottom it was seven dollars and even in their circumstances she had seven dollars and her daughter, she put it in her daughter's lap, and there was no way she was going to get out of her lap without losing a hand. So she went up, and, and the fellow at the counter said, you've made a good choice. I think your daughter is going to really get a lot of joy out of that. So she paid the money and went home. And that carousel, musical carousel, kept her daughter entertained and from crying the rest of the day, the first time in her life that it happened. So a few days later, after having gorgeous, gorgeous, long days without her daughter throwing tantrums and crying, she decided maybe we'll go back and look at, just thank the guy for this wonderful toy, that it, because her daughter was just playing with that toy constantly. We'll go back and thank him and tell him what a difference it's made in my daughter's life and my life. So she retraced her steps, went down that block of a long brick wall, and there was no door to a toy shop. It was mm. just a solid, long brick wall. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. It reminds me of a story um, that's in a friend of mine's book. His name is Terry Lovelace. And he, yeah. and he was, you know, abducted by aliens and things like that. But in his, the first story in his second book is about a couple, I think they were driving through the Nevada desert. In the middle of the desert, they see a, a what well, looks like a Christmas store, Christmas trees and, and Christmas lights and everything. And they're like, well, that's weird. Why is there a Christmas store in the middle of the desert? 
and they keep on going to go to their destination. And then on their way back, they just say, you know what? We'll stop at this Christmas store because it was so unusual. And then on their way back, they looked all over for it and could not find it. It was not there. I have read that account. Yeah. And it definitely was a head scratcher for me. I loved it. <laughs> it's weird. Like, like It's like these things appear out of nowhere and then they're gone. Right. And there were some accounts in England that are in my first book. Uh, probably on the same street with all the other weird accounts mm -hmm. in Liverpool where folks would walk into a diner and all the price people were were dressed differently than they were like old-fashioned early 40s and here it was the 70s and they would um, order off the menu and the food was so unbelievably inexpensive and so good that they couldn't wait to get back the next week they were in town. They lived in the country, and when they got back, there was no such place. <laughs> hmm. Also, underneath that street, I believe there's also some weird tunnels, too. Oh, I don't know about the tunnels. Yeah, yeah there's actually tunnels that run underneath that street. Ooh. Let's hope <laughs> not any strange cryptoids. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, so, so what other phenomenon can these time slips possibly be an explanation for that sometimes maybe we equate with like ghosts and things like that? Well, my take on ghosts is I imagine... I believe that we are eternal beings. We have no beginning and we have no end. And yes, we can't wrap our minds around that because it's just kind of beyond us right now. But I think that when our mortal body ceases, the heart ceases beating, our spirit body goes into the next dimension. And I think there are folks who get stuck here whether they're afraid to go to the light, afraid to go through the light, which is in effect uh, a wormhole mm -hmm. into the fourth dimension, because it's always surrounded by light, which is what happens, the energy of going to another dimension. They get stuck here. They're afraid to go to the light. Maybe they did some really rotten things in this life, and um, they don't want to face the consequences, and they're pretty sure they're not going to be good. Then there are people who may stay here because they're so stuck on their, their wealth. They're so stuck on the business they created that, that no one else could possibly run as well as them. Uh, one of the first books I read about near-death experiences was about a fellow during World War II when he passed away. And one of the things he saw when his, before he was revived in the army hospital he was in in Texas, was he was traveling around America in his spirit. And he saw this young man 
walking down the road and behind him was this elderly man who was just yelling at him and yelling at him and telling him, you don't know what you're doing. You're running the business into the ground. Why don't you do how I taught you? And it finally dawned on him that the young man was still in mortal form and the old man behind him was probably his father and he was totally berating him and he was still stuck in on the mortal plane here on earth because he couldn't possibly let anyone run his business like he did. No one would ever do it as well as him. So he made the choice not to go to the light, not because he was afraid to go to the light, but because he was so focused on mortality and stuff that was here. And so I think one of the kindest things when I read about stories of ghosts or see shows on TV with ghost hunters, the ones that really, really make me happy is when they have someone on the team who helps that person to pass through the light into the next dimension and can put a lot of what they're feeling still here in in this dimension to rest. I think it's a kindness. It's a merciful thing mm-hmm. to do. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I've done a lot of paranormal investigating myself and had all sorts of experiences. And I don't know. Like I, I don't know if I like the idea of people being stuck i think maybe a part of their energy stays behind and another part moves on you know because maybe we're not you know you know like like electricity can be or, or radio waves like radio waves you can have a whole bunch of radio waves going in the same direction you know and i think like maybe like like some of it just sort of just stays behind and the rest of it might move on Okay, that's another way to think of it. Yeah, because the idea of, of people being stuck because of an obsession or or even love, you know, like I'm sure, oh, sure. love is, is you know because like, you just don't want to leave your family. Um, right, right. But, I think it's a, the the happy thing is, I think that they find out very quickly when they go to the uh, spirit world or the fourth dimension that they find out they can come back on assignment to help their families. Mm -hmm. And my mother uh, and father, when my father passed away, they had what's called a shared death experience, which is um, he was a hardworking Finn. My dad worked 23 hours a day his whole life and had so many health problems, including open heart surgeries. He had the worst back ever, but he never complained. I never once heard him complain about all the pain we all knew he was in, that he was just a good, kind man who just took it as part of his life journey. And he was, he was, 72 years old when he finally passed and it was congestive heart failure and he was in a hospice home, a beautiful old mansion over in the Southwest Hills of Portland, Oregon. And he was in a bedroom in in a hospital bed and 
the nurse had caught, we were taking turns so that a family member was always with him because by then he just, he wasn't talking. Um, but he still had the sense of touch. He, he could still feel, which we, I believe is the last sense we lose. We may lose sight and hearing and smell and the ability to talk, but to touch, to feel another mm -hmm. human. And the nurses had called us that day and said, I think this is going to be the last night for your dad, Yada, come up. So one of my sisters and I accompanied my mother that evening up to the hospice house. My mom went in and sat next to him and held his hand. Uh, my sister and I, quite frankly, we laid down on sofas in the living room and fell asleep <laughs> until about 2 a.m. My mother walked out of the hospital room and shook us awake. And she said, your dad has passed. And she said, and when he passed, I had the nurse come in to check him. And she said, oh, no, 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 he hasn't passed yet. And she said, yes, he has. And let me tell you why. And she shared with us. And the nurse did then double check. And yes, he was gone. She said, I was holding his hand. And the moment before he passed, my whole body from the top of my head to the bottom pinky on my toe was absolutely filled with the most incredible sense of euphoria I have never been able to imagine in my life. And that was my father going to the light into wow. the next dimension. Wow. And he shared with her. Interesting. I was actually holding my mom's hand when she passed away. And did you sense anything? I kind of, I did, yeah. Uh, definitely a calm, you know, definitely a peace. Yeah. You know, it's hard well, to describe, but but it's one of the things that, that have always made me consider some of our, some of our cultural issues, you know, that um, dying is definitely just as important as being born. Yeah. And, and, and we shouldn't turn away from from it you know like i think i think a lot of times people want to avoid death you know and not look at it don't want to be with people when they die or you know like they just lack acceptance of it you especially know. if they think all you do is um turn into dirt <laughs> mm -hmm. but but it's really a, a super it's an experience you know and yeah. i feel honored I, to have been with couple of people as they've passed i mean I, like i say it's just it's just like being born in fact there probably are being born into another life right and that was probably the first time since my dad was 17 years old and in the navy in world war ii that he hadn't had pain and that was a big part of the euphoria <laughs> <laughs> wow um do you think that any prodigies like for example, Mozart being able to play piano at five years old. Um, do you think that's a past life memory? Or even if everything's happening at once, for example, and it really is no past life because you're living your past lives now and your future lives, do you think that future life of Mozart is sending information to this child version of Mozart, allowing him to become a prodigy and be able to do things and understand things that he shouldn't be able to do. 
Well, that's making my eyes cross again here. But <laughs> I think in our pre-mortal existence, before we came to Earth, I think we definitely had specific interests that we wanted to pursue in this life. Um, Van Clybern is another example. As of before he could even speak, he was going for every piano he could find as a three-year, as a, or as a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. He he was just by the time he was five, he was like Mozart. The piano was everything. It was his life for him. And I think part of it was the pre-mortal um, experiences he had. I think part of it is what what i think that you know so often in twitters we're sharing an experience a person had that um i'm having a senior moment here <laughs> and i've worked hard for it i'm 71 years old and by golly i'm proud of it <laughs> but um I think that we know from from DNA, from mitochondrial and patriarchal DNA, that we have embedded in us bits of matter from our ancestors going all the way back to Adam. And I think just like with other things, other elements in life, that now and then they speak to us. And I had one, I'm trying to remember the name of the book. It was, the name of the book was, um, oh my goodness, another senior moment. Anyway, it was an incredibly intense experience mm -hmm. a gentleman had and a near-death experience. Visions of Glory was the name of the book. And he I don't know if he's still alive. I assume he is. But as an adult, he had horrendous health problems. And at one point in the hospital, he did he did uh, technically die. And his spirit body left his mortal body. And he was kind of traveling around the hospital room, going through walls, getting used to this incredible experience of being out of body. And he went in this one room, which was a, a surgeon's office. And the surgeon's office had the most incredible wood furniture. It was this antique desk that must have cost tens of thousands of dollars and shelving that was hand carved. And what amazed him was that even though it was wood, there was a sentience to it. And he was picking up on what this incredible desk and the shelving were feeling. And they were feeling great sorrow because this surgeon was quite frankly cheating on his wife with a number, another member on the staff. And they were heart sick about it because he was such a brilliant person um, and what it was doing to his wife. And that was when I realized that Native Americans are right. Everything has an intelligence. We may not pick up on it, mm -hmm. but I think that's why the cells of our ancestors can speak to us. And that's why often in places like Gettysburg, 
which was the most bloody battle of the Civil War and where more people died than any other battle. People so often will be transported along a space-time slip to the past and see soldiers Mm -hmm. coming out of the woods and going across the battlefield. It's because the wood and the dirt have soaked in those memories because they even have ascensions to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard of people being healed by, by trees. Mm. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. <laughs> that everything is alive. You can't, it's not Boy, just... I talk to my garden all the time because I know <laughs> that now. <laughs> Hoping it'll grow well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you think, um, gravity has anything to do with time? It does. We know now that there are at least 13 dimensions and gravity is part of what leaks through time. Um, not that I'm, not that I am a physicist, but now and then I read to try to better understand and I was just recently reading about how there, of course, physicists are always trying to get to the theory of everything that will explain how the incredibly humongous universe that is still expanding can be according to the laws of science and how unbelievably subatomic particles like quarks, leptons, and bosons can operate according to a totally different set, apparently, of physical laws than the big universe. And that's the holy grail for physicists in this day and age, is to come up with the theory of everything, or they call it the M theory, Mm -hmm. where in one beautiful, beautiful little expression, they can make sense of everything. I'm not a mathematician. I'm lucky to remember Algebra 101. But it was interesting to see how mathematicians wax eloquent on their formulas. And when Einstein came up with the formula E equals MC squared, even to this day, mathematicians swoon because it was so elegantly simple Mm -hmm. and so true. And that's what they hope to come up with, with the M theory. Do you think they will? I think someday we will. Hmm. Human beings have an insatiable curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of the things I think we will. That would be cool if we could figure everything out like that. Yes, definitely. (laughs) But I wonder what we would do with it. You know, good things. just like we didn't quite do good things with some of Einstein's knowledge. Yeah. Yep. It's like everything medicine can be good or it can devastate you. Yeah. Um, hmm. Why do you think? Like, like, like you had mentioned, like, you know, primitive culture. Well, not necessarily primitive because we don't know if they're actually primitive or not. We might be primitive compared to some of the past cultures, actually. 
um, knew more about consciousness. Like they were, like, like they knew that things were alive. They were aware of of time and space already existing together as one. And like, like they, 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 they knew that. Like how did they know yeah. stuff that we had to figure out, you know, like thousands of years later? It's like we've been totally distracted from it, isn't it? Yeah. The Native Americans have always felt that we are all one. And two of my children are adopted Native Americans. So um, I revel in there. Actually, they're both nuts, but I adore them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we have some of that ancestry in our home. (laughs) Cool. But, But it always makes me wonder, like, how they knew what they knew. Yes. I think I think it was spiritual. Spiritual. I think those from those from the fourth dimension were spiritual beings. I, I'm sure they were more in tune with them. Sometimes I think it would have been so much easier to raise a family hundred fifty years ago when we were pioneers and mm-hmm. we didn't have the distraction of television or movies or moving vehicles or all of the distractions we have, even computers, which I adore, and I love electricity. I once have a daughter-in-law who said, Mom, you should have been a pioneer. And I said, no, no, no. May I kick the bucket the day before I lose electricity? <laughs> I love it. But I think in many ways, life was much easier, and it was easier to be more spiritually grounded then. That makes a lot of sense, because when you don't have all the distractions, you sit still. And I think when you sit still... You observe more of the obvious. And it's important to have respect for all beliefs and to learn from them and to find commonalities. That's a big part, I think, of becoming wiser as human beings and maybe one day understanding better how space-time slips occur. Yeah. I try to get my wife to uh, move out into the bush, but she's really attached to running water. To where? She's attached to running water. (laughs) (laughs) She wants to be able to take a shower. (laughs) All the Alaskan men want to be in the bush. (laughs) (laughs) Thank heaven for her women who want running water and electricity. (laughs) (laughs) And vehicles. (laughs) But I must say that when you're in the bush was fascinating. Did you have electricity in everything where you were at? We had electricity. Many of the, it was primarily Athabascans had electricity, but many did not have have any. And many had outhouses. And I once used an outhouse at 50 below zero. And I would recommend that you never do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty rough at that temperature. <laughs> yeah. well, the first great. thing they tell you, just sure, fine, go ahead and use it, but don't look down. So mm-hmm. what is the first thing you do? Look down. Don't ever look down if you're using an outhouse at 50 below zero. <laughs> um, so you, you're writing another book. Is this like part two of the book? I think it is going to be part two. It's definitely a continuance of new accounts 
I've come across. And once you open your mind to the fact that there's something called a space-time slip, it's like these things just fall in your lap, and you never know where you're going to come. They're going to come from. For instance, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of. Oh my word! It's another senior moment. Uh, he writes books. He's a tour guide for fly fishing. Rusty Wilson, and his books are 99% about, well, they're 100% about experiences that the folks that he guides on these tours tell him about around the campfire at night next to the river or wherever they're camping out. And 99% of the time, they're about Bigfoot encounters. Mm -hmm. And of all the, I, I just, I'm fascinated by Big Feet. I know it has nothing to do with space-time slips, but... I love his books more than mm -hmm. any other author I've ever come across. And the most recent book I read by him actually had some experience that had nothing to do with Big Feet. And one of them was a space-time slip. It was these two geologists who, and I'm not going to go into great detail because, frankly, I don't remember. Um, I'd have to reread it so it was real fresh in my mind. But the, it was in the Southwest, and they were going to help this uh, some archaeologists from a local college with a group of students come in and do uh, some hands-on archaeology work. And when they got to this area, the locals warned them, well, don't go into this one valley. And they said, why? And they said, because really strange things happen there and you just don't want to go there. People have lost their lives there. So, of course, what's the first thing they do? Like me in the outhouse at 55 mm -hmm. Blue. You know, they go right to that valley. And they decide to camp out, but in the middle of the night, because they're they're uh, almost a week ahead of the professors and the students coming. They're scoping things out, finding sites, working on them a little, so the students are ready to just jump in and do what they need to do. Um, they hear these huge, huge thumps. I mean, it's just shaking the ground like an earthquake, and uh, something races by their tents. And they heard, hear these strange calls. Scares them to death. But they stick in there. The next day they go up and and they're real leery, but they go ahead and they're working on the sites, getting the sites ready for the students some more. That night when they go to bed, it happens again. And this time they want to track it down. They actually get the courage. They get in the pickup, their pickup, and they each had a bottle of some local beer that the, the nearby town was famous for brewing. And they're following the sounds and they actually get stuck at a tree that has fallen across the road. So they get out and all of a sudden it dawns on them that they're not surrounded by pinion pine and juniper. They're surrounded by these huge broad-leafed trees and other vegetation like from back in the Eocene period, way back in Earth history, and they catch sight of dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And they race, they, they get the truck stuck, they throw their beer bottles out, and they race back to their campsite, and they camp up 
they 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 try they don't actually sleep the rest of the night but they're out of there the next morning they are out of there and they they get to the meeting place where they're supposed to meet the professors and the students and they tell them look we just can't do this we're not going to go into particulars but we would highly encourage you not to go where you were determined to go it's just not a good place you don't want to go there and they said, what are you talking about? And they said, we can't talk about it. Just trust us on this. <laughs> well, of course, they don't listen to them. Back to the outhouse at 55 below zero. So they say, well, okay. And those two guys leave. But what happens is, because they hear about this later from the professors, um, they experience the same thing. They only experience it once, and they get out of there pretty darn fast. But they did have one day of digging, um, and they discovered in the rock one of the beer bottles the guys had thrown out. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know, I definitely, like when it comes to Bigfoot, I think Bigfoot is a multidimensional being. Um, I, I've interviewed Ron Moorhead a couple times, and and he talks about it a lot. In fact, Ron, his recordings are the ones in the Missing 411 movie. Oh. He's oh. the one who recorded those. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> when I was teaching, I uh, always kind of hoped Bigfoot was real, but I really didn't know until it was another October where I was doing a wild and crazy unit in English classes. Only this year I was doing it on cryptos. Crypto. I have a daughter who works in cryptocurrency, so I always want to call them <laughs> cryptocurrency. Cryptoids. Strange animals that may or may not be real. Mm -hmm. And one morning for their journal entry, I assigned them to write about Bigfoot. Real or not real and tell me why you think what you think. And from the back of the classroom, this fellow, which was one of my uh, instructional assistants helping students as they needed help, his name is Rick Bubel. He grew up in Wyoming. He was the only boy with 11 sisters. Can you imagine? <laughs> Poor man. Anyway, he said, Mrs. Holmes, I, I, I don't usually talk about these things, but I feel like maybe this might be a good time to share. And I said, Rick, by all means, come up and share with us. So he said, so he came up and he told us about how when he and his wife had moved from, from the lower 48 up to Alaska, they had gone through Washington state to visit relatives. So then they went up what's called the Stuart Cassiar highway, which goes through the Yukon territory. And then you turn into Alaska. And that was about 15 years earlier. And they had a pickup truck with a camper on the back. So every night they'd just pull over down a side road or along the road um, and sleep. And one night when they were up into the Yukon Territory, they pulled over onto the rocky spit of this little river. Well, this is the middle of summer, so it's 24-7 daylight. Mm -hmm. They're far enough north. And Rick got up at 4 a.m., was outside the camper just stretching, and he looked across the little river, and there on the other side was what he thought at first was a bear. And it seemed to be washing something in the water. And then it looked up at him, and it stood up on its hind legs. 
And he said it had to have been at least eight feet tall. And it walked into the woods. <laughs> and I thought, Bigfoot are real. If Rick Buball says Bigfoot are real and he saw one, they're real. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think, you know, one of the things that you talk about are, are places sort of appearing and disappearing. Do you think that this could explain places like Shambhala or El Dorado? It could. There's just so much we don't know. Usually when I say a place appearing and disappearing, um, sometimes people are transported to a different place. Mm -hmm. But one of the scariest accounts in my first book was this group of scouts they were or this was a church group but it was up a canyon and they were at the top of the canyon church group of kids and at the bottom of the canyon was a bunch of scouts with their their leaders and now and then one would travel down to the scout group and they'd get together and do something or the scouts would travel up to the church group and they'd get together and do something together but it was always the same route up what was basically a ravine well, one day the church group was traveling down and off to the left was this cleft in the ravine that they'd never noticed before. So they thought, well, how the heck did we ever miss that? And they decided to turn down and they did. They went, they hiked for a couple miles. It, it became flat, but the farther they hiked, the more awful they felt. And finally they felt bad, bad enough that they all turned around and hiked back to the cleft in the ravine. And then they finished their hike back down to the scout group. And a few days later, they, they told the scouts about this. And they all went, what are you talking about? But a few days later, they were back at the church camp and they came down and there was no cleft in the ravine. Hmm. It was gone. And so that's what sends chills down my spine. What if they had stayed there? And the cleft had closed on them, and they were in that other place, that other reality. Wow. I like to think we get kicked back into our own reality, but I think there are times when we don't. But I think there is a wise person in charge of everything, and it all gets worked out. <laughs> I'm the fool that would jump right into it. great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this was a fascinating interview thanks for coming on well, thank you for having me uh, before we wrap it up where can my listeners find you uh, well I'm not quite in a senior citizen home yet but the whole <laughs> way I meet is just by to look for Twitters on Twitters is available on um Uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and they can contact Ozark Mountain now that I'm retired I don't have a web page anymore and I'll probably get my hands slapped by my, my publisher <laughs> you will <laughs> they, can, they can contact me by a gmail I could give you my gmail address if anyone is interested okay yeah, maybe maybe do that. Like, uh, I'll put your Gmail address and link to your book 
in the notes of this episode, just in case somebody might have a story for you for your second book or your third book. Absolutely. (laughs) That's great. I appreciate that, Noanne. Because I'm sure sure there's people listening to this that will have stories to share. Oh, yes. And there's just no end to how fascinating they are to me. That may just be me, but I find them truly fascinating. It's definitely a really, really a cool, a cool subject. In fact, yeah. I really didn't hear about the subject until I was listening to someone else's podcast and it came up. Yeah. Well, like I say, for me, it was a book of ghost stories and it had nothing to do with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And hang on one second while I play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.